Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that your work for us did not end at the resurrection, but that you live to intercede for us. So come now and do your prophetic work. Reveal to us by your word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Do it in spite of the sin of the preacher and in spite of the sin of the hearers. Do it for the glory of your holy name. We ask it for your sake. Amen. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We come to the seventh of the seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3. This is the word of the Lord from Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will endure forever. Amen. Of all of God's blessings, few compare to a hot cup of coffee at the right time in the early morning. Some of you are a bit stranger and like an iced coffee from time to time. But no matter your preference, we can all come to this agreement. Hot or cold, it is likely that you have experienced the mistake, the great foolish mistake of letting your coffee sit a little too long in your cup on the counter. It's not in a Yeti, it's not in a Stanley or whatever those cups are now, but it just sits in your mug on the counter and you go in for a sip and you almost spit it out of your mouth, don't you? Room temperature, lukewarm coffee, few greater blessings than a hot cup of coffee few greater curses than a lukewarm cup that you didn't expect. In this final letter to the seven churches, Laodicea 
has become like that room temperature coffee. Neither hot nor cold. They are lukewarm. Look back down. Verse 15. I know your works, says the Lord Jesus. You are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This letter is written to Christians who have fallen into lukewarmness, to use the word of the text. They've settled into a life of seeming leisure. They've lost sight of their need to continually depend upon the Lord Jesus. Christ comes to them in this letter and lovingly reproves them. And he counsels them and shows them the way back to a life of heat and cold, a life of, of appeal and desire. Before we get into it, though, there's two things we need to make clear here at the beginning. The first is this. Sometimes you may hear this verse about hot and cold and think, and some, some interpreters will even tell you this is what it means, that Jesus either prefers his church to be so alive it's described to be on fire, or just so dead that it's cold as can be. That hot and cold speak to, um, you know, desire for the Lord on one end and, and lack of desire on the other end. But, but that's not really how hot and cold are being used here. It may rather be said that Jesus is saying, you aren't hot, which is useful for many things. And you aren't cold, which is useful for many things. You're just lukewarm, which is useful for nothing. There's no appeal to lukewarmness. Secondly, the seventh letter is the harshest of all of them. And there's a threat here that if you're not hot or cold, if you're just lukewarm, Jesus will spit you out of his mouth. There's a harsh rebuke here for the church in Laodicea and for us as well. And let me encourage you not to recoil against the warning that's here. You know how your kids can be sometimes. They, they push back against discipline. You know, you try your hardest to, to make them see the error of their ways and help them to walk in the right path, and they just want anything except what you want for them. As Christians with still remaining sin, it can be in us to do the same things towards the Lord and His Word. So guard against that in these moments. Consider these words from Brian Chapel. Discipline, which is what the Lord is bringing to this church in Laodicea, discipline is evidence of God entering into your world to rescue you from spiritual danger that you could not or would not handle on your own. Thus, God's discipline is not contrary to grace, but in fact is grace itself. And when God sends us passages like these, not because he's mean and he's trying to point out the lukewarmness of your heart just because he likes to point out where you're sinful. He's pointing it out so that we have something to turn from. He's pointing it out so that we can be brought again to Jesus. He's pointing it out so that we won't go down a path that results in us being spit out of Christ's mouth. Discipline is a gracious thing. How, how 
How unloving would it be for a father or a mother to not turn their child out of the wrong way? That's what God is seeking to do with Laodicea in this text and Lord willing with us by his spirit. We're going to look at three main points here. First, we're going to look at the church. Then we're going to look at Christ's counsel and then at Christ's promise. First, the the church Laodicea and her lukewarmness. Then we'll see Christ's counsel to her in the face of this lukewarmness. And third, the promises that Christ makes to them as they turn back to him. The church, Christ's counsel, and Christ's promises. Start there in verse 17 as, as, as the lukewarmness is sort of explained for us. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Seems a strange thing to say. You say you're rich, but you're not. And maybe they were. They probably were rich, well off to some degree or another. They were prosperous. They needed nothing, at least in their own estimation. With all of their earthly material, with all of their wealth, with all of their whatever made them feel content and satisfied, they um, they had no problems at all to worry about. And Christ comes in and says it honestly. He says, listen, you, you may feel like this and, and you're certainly acting like this, but the truth is that you are far from safe and comfortable. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We don't have time to focus in on all these words, but one in particular that stands out in this text is that word blind. The accusation has special meaning in Laodicea. There was a well-known hospital in their city that had discovered a special recipe for an ointment that could ease problems with the eyes. So of all the people in the world, you wouldn't call people from Laodicea blind, especially if they weren't actually blind. But the the meaning strikes so um, significantly, though. Christ is saying, although you are the world's best in taking care of eyesight, you can't seem to see that you don't have any eyesight of your own. You can't seem to see the disastrous spiritual state that you have entered into. They've taken on, as William Hendrickson calls it, a we're all good people here in Laodicea attitude. We're okay. We don't need anything. We've got what we have and we've made it on our own and we're going to take care of ourselves. And it's strange to read this. We, we would hope that a church ministered to, converted by the ministry of the Word and the Spirit, we would hope that a church would not arrive at this point where they are saying and declaring so clearly that, that they are okay on their own, and yet they are actually wretched and, and blind, naked, pitiable, poor. The language that Jesus is using here seems to indicate that the church in Laodicea has forgotten a fundamental truth of the gospel message. The, the members of Laodicea church are resting in their, their wealth and their comfort some other sense of safety in the material world, that they had grown arrogant in this, thinking that they were taking such good care of themselves that they didn't need anything else. They didn't need anyone else. And the problem in believing that 
is just what he says. You think that you're okay in these things that you have, but you don't realize that you're actually wretched and poor. That's the problem there. It's the problem still today, isn't it? Too often in the church that we trust in self and in things would become like the seed planted among the weeds where the world grows up around it and it chokes out the life. We trust in the things that we can see and sense and the things that we can earn and merit. And the truth is that when we depend upon these things, even as believers, we are in a wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked situation. These words are meant symbolically to point to our spiritual state apart from Christ and even even that situation that we can get in in Christ where we put ourselves at such a distance from him that we threaten our very security. We threaten our very profession. On our own, resting in ourselves, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We are rebels against God. We have sinned against Him in thought and word and deed. And and the very motions of our heart, apart from the ministry of the Spirit, are against God in every sense. The only thing we deserve is to be spit out of His mouth. What is it, then, that Laodicea has forgotten? Laodicea had forgotten the fundamental truth of the gospel message that we are sinners, unable to do anything of any spiritual good, and even when brought to Christ, we can still fall back into a false gospel way of thinking. We can still fall back into depending on the world and living as circumstantial Christians, thinking that when things are good in our life here, that we're okay. Trace, trace if, you, if you will, in your mind, the, the trail of lukewarmness. You know, it, it's possible that you've been raised in the church, brought up with the Lord, to know the Lord. It's possible you've come to Christ at a later point in your life and you've entered into the church. You know, imagine you've, you've become a part of the church and you're living your life under the auspices of the church. You, you are enjoying life with the friends and family that also believe alongside you and you get comfortable and nobody's ever experienced this. You, you get put at ease and you get lazy. I apologize for the sarcasm. Isn't this the way it goes sometimes? We sort of sit back and we sit down and we, we start to drift off. Your devotions begin to slack. The ordinances of God's worship in the Lord's day become cold to you. Sometimes you don't even make a point to be there. You start to let little sins slip. You don't really notice sin as much. You don't feel bad about sinning. You start to indulge more and more in worldly things and pleasures. You stop fighting sin altogether in some places. Sometimes you even begin to cherish sin and hide sin. You make it your pet. You walk around with it as this thing that gives you happiness. This is the trajectory of lukewarmness. And it leads, doesn't it, to arrogance. Thinking that you can take care of yourself. Because I'm still alive today means that everything's fine. Because we're so dependent on the temporal world and on our circumstances that we think that as long as I'm living a good life, 
I have nothing to worry about. And that's where Laodicea was. I remember a particular time in my own life when I came across an article online, and I still don't know why I read it, because the, the, the headline really wasn't very intriguing. T- ten ways to recognize arrogance in your own heart. Yeah, nobody should stop and read that article. But everybody should stop and read that article. Ten ways. Some of the items included things like this. You, you may be arrogant, the article would say, if you believe a few people are, if, if you believe, excuse me, if you believe few people are as smart as you are, or if spiritual disciplines are secondary in your life, if non-existent altogether. Or if no one has permission to speak truth into your life. Maybe for you it's the same as me. The question starts to form, does, does my arrogant attitude reflect a lukewarmness in my heart? Do, do I think that I'm just okay? And so I grow distant from the word and distant from worship, and distant from the church. What about you? Has lukewarmness overtaken you so that you no longer see your continual need for Jesus? It can be easy to just put on a good face. You know, we close our garage doors and we go into our houses and we have our private lives, but then when we come out, Well, we can make ourselves look however we want to, and social media only helps, right? I can look to you however I want to and hide all my private things. It's a horrible world. It's far too easy to get this attitude in our day and age, isn't it? I mean, you just look at the news and you see the... The persecution of Christians doesn't get the news that it needs to get. The current persecution, not against Christians, is getting plenty of headlines. But you know, we live in a time and place where even as Christians, we don't really experience persecution in those kinds of ways. Dr. Kistemacher suggests we we might foolishly think that we must be very wonderful because we are not being persecuted. How great we are that nobody hates us. The world loves us as Christians in the South, right? Because nobody's fighting against us. He says, no, because once you grow cool on the Lord, you lose the offensiveness of the gospel and the devil has no interest in persecuting you. That we may feel safe and comfortable because we're lukewarm. Have you become blind to what truly matters and grown to this place of of indecision and and unappeal. You're neither hot nor cold. Laodicea had forgotten a fundamental truth of the gospel message that we are not able to save ourselves. We cannot depend upon ourselves. They had forgotten that we are not able nor allowed to live the Christian life in our own terms. And that's why Christ comes and gives them counsel. And his counsel is essentially that they must look outside of themselves. They must despair of self. Look at verse 18. And, and for what it's worth, notice how gracious and kind our Lord is. That he doesn't say, you're neither hot nor cold, and so I will spit you out of my mouth. 
He declares to them the danger of their situation, the danger of lukewarmness and of, of getting comfortable in the Christian life in this world. And then he comes in and says, but here's my counsel. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Commentators agree that those three items in verse 18, gold refined by fire, white garments, and salve to anoint your eyes, represent respectively faith and righteousness and enlightenment to gospel truth. And for the sake of time, we, we can't go into to all of the, the, the biblical theology that fills up those phrases. But there's a bit of irony, if, if you can think of it. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy faith, righteousness, and enlightenment. You see the irony. In plenty of places in Scripture, the Bible explicitly tells us that we can't acquire these things. Ephesians 2 tells us that faith is a gift. Other places tell us that, that we are dependent on a righteousness that is alien to us, something that we can't achieve on our own. It's the whole reason we need the gospel. Enlightenment is something that the Holy Spirit does for us in opening our eyes to the truth of Scripture and the truth of our condition before a holy God. So essentially, Christ's remedy and counsel here in verse 18 for a lukewarm Christian is to go and buy things that you won't find anywhere on any shelf. Go buy that which you can't acquire. It's a little frustrating at first. Doesn't make a lot of sense at first, but it's not the only time in Scripture that we see commands like these. Maybe you were watching earlier in Isaiah 55 verse 1. Where the prophet tells us, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. That's crazy talk. There's a couple places in town you could show up without your wallet and they may feed you. But there aren't very many. No, go home. You can't get to, get to the checkout line at Walmart with your cart full of stuff. I don't have any money to pay. They're not going to let you leave. And yet that is what the gospel, that, that is what the prophets, that is what Jesus here in Revelation 3 tell us. Come, you who have no money, buy. What's he saying? Saying the things you need, you can't get in your own strength. Saying you, you, Laodicea, may have all of this wealth. You, you may be rich and prospered. You may believe that you really need nothing. But that which you most need, which is indispensable to a life with God, you cannot purchase. There's not any amount of merit in your heart. There's not any amount of money in your bank accounts that, that can acquire what you need in order to be made right before a holy God. If arrogance leads to lukewarmness, if, if, if the we're all okay here in Cleveland attitude leads to blindness, then the answer Jesus gives is that we must forsake ourselves. We must stop hiding 
and stop covering up our sin and stop pretending that we're okay just on our own. We're not. This is why I had Jacob read from Mark 2. Jesus is with his disciples and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, you know, the very worst of the worst. And those religious Pharisees complain, why does he eat with these kinds of people? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you are the kind of person that thinks you can take good care of yourself and get through this life just fine, more power to you. Jesus didn't come for you. He didn't come for people that can take care of themselves. He came for the wretched and the pitiable and the poor and the blind and the naked. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That that's who we are down to the very bottom, bottom of ourselves. That we are wretched rebels against a holy God. Sinners deserving both God's, God's wrath both in this life and in the life to come. We are against Him in every way. We're, we're not broken. We're not sick. We don't need mending. We're dead in sins and trespasses. Just like the rest of the world. But God, in His grace and mercy, with that great love with which He loved us, has made us alive together in Christ Jesus. That The answer to our lukewarmness is not to try harder, it's to let go and let God. What a foolish thing for a preacher to say, but isn't that what what he's saying? Don't rely on yourself, but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who can provide you everything that you need and that you cannot afford in your own right. Even in preparing this sermon, I was tempted to proclaim that the answer to our lukewarmness is to stop sinning and fight against it. And that sounds good, and Christians should fight sin and try to stop sinning. And we should try to stand against the tide of the world. And those are important things, but it's not the answer to our problem. It's not the answer to a sinner's problem before a holy God, and it's not the answer to a cold church before a holy God. The counsel from Christ is not to stop and fight. The counsel from Christ is to repent again and believe again the gospel that has saved you. His counsel is for us to remember that the thing we need we cannot afford and that we have been saved by grace and by mercy. His counsel is that we remember our union with Him through the faith that God has given to us and we depend upon Him for everything. So what? You know? Yeah, we're in a horrible condition. We may find ourselves individually or, or as a church to be in a similar place as Laodicea. I leave that to judge your own heart for yourself by the help of the Spirit. Jesus says, look, what you need is something that I've provided that you can't afford on your own. But, but, but what's so significant about this passage is the promise that Jesus gives us here at the end. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. For those who turn to Christ in faith, believing he will come in and fellowship with you. He'll grant you a place of honor in his kingdom. 
Verse 20 is one of the most widely misapplied verses in all of the Bible. How about that? Many theologians will argue whether it's about Calvinism or Arminianism, which one supports the verse. Those are just big words that we don't need to worry about because I think that we can bypass the argument altogether. Pay attention to it. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come in. He's not just knocking. What else must he necessarily be doing? Calling. Who hears my voice, not hears my knocking, not, not hears the rapping on the door. I stand at the door and knock, and whoever hears my voice, this ought to bring back remnants of, of John 3, where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and says that the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That This verse is not... Um, about Jesus sort of waiting out the sinner, hoping that one day they'll finally let him into their heart and he can save them. This verse is about the call of Christ to his people. This is a letter written to the church after all. Christ says to Laodicea church and he says to you and me, if you've grown stale and lukewarm, listen and come back. Open the door. Return to me. Hear my voice. Christian, If Christ has called you, you are his. You don't belong to this world. You belong to God through faith in Christ. Stop trying to rescue yourself. Stop trying to rely on your own strength. The weariness of this world is too much for us. Did you hear Jacob pray through all the families who have lost loved ones? And the weight that has been upon our church. There's no hope in us for relief from things like this. The only relief. In a world like this is found in Christ alone. The only relief from sin like ours that deserves death and that everlastingly is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. There's no hope in ourselves. Christ is promising here forgiveness and fellowship and honor to those who would come and seek after him, to those who would respond to his call to hear his voice. These promises really mean nothing if the one making them is not able to fulfill them. And that's what sends us back up to verse 14 when Jesus introduces himself as the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. There's so much in these words. Um, the, the, the word used there for, um, for witness has roots in the Hebrew word for Amen. And the word amen even there and in the Hebrew can, can mean yes. And so essentially Jesus is calling himself the yes. The faithful yes. The true yes. And it reminds us of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Jesus is the Yes to all the promises to his people in the Bible. And so think of this. If the yes to the promises is himself making a promise to you, it is guaranteed and sure. Yes, we may be lukewarm and we may have wandered off and we may be trying to decide if we want to be hot or cold or useful at all. Yes, we may be dazzled by the things of this world and wandering away from the one who has called us. But here, listen, you are never too far away to come back. You are never too far away to put off lukewarmness and put off carnal securities and cling to Christ again because He is the one who promises that He will receive you. 
Jesus will grant you faith and righteousness and enlightenment so that you may know God and cling to him through our Lord. We're going to sing here in just a moment the words of Joseph Hart from hymn number 472. And I just want you to hear a few of these verses before we sing them. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Who doesn't feel like that, by the way? Who doesn't recognize our sinnership before a holy God and know why he would come to us? Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. Come, ye needy, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. By the way, that's saying, don't worry that you're not good enough. Don't try to get better before you come to him. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. He stands in heaven for you, Christian. It's 1 John 2, 1. He pleads for you. Nothing will put you out of his prayers and his pleadings if you're found in him. Venture on him. Venture wholly. Let no other trust intrude. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, come for the sake of your Son, by the ministry of your Spirit, and write the truth of your Word upon our hearts that we may not sin against you. We are weak, poor, pitiable, blind, naked, but we praise you that in the Lord Jesus you have brought us faith and righteousness and enlightenment so that we are clothed and our eyes have been opened and we have beheld the true and living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Show us more of you that our hearts may be inflamed with vigor and zeal to live, not comfortable, lukewarm lives, but lives dedicated to your every word. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.